Thank you all for being here. Uh, hi, I'm Daniel Fishman. I'm a labor and employment attorney at Morgan Brown and Joy. I'm also the co-chair of the New Lawyers Forum uh, Career Development Committee, which is a sponsor of today's event, succeeding as a junior associate in a remote workplace. Being a new lawyer at a law firm is hard. It's even harder in a remote workplace. So I, I brought together a great panel of accomplished associates to talk about their experiences and how to succeed in the current work environment. I prepared some questions for the panel, but ultimately we want this event to be interactive and answer your questions. So please feel free to send some questions in the chat and the Q&A. Um, I'll let the panelists introduce themselves, if that's all right with them, and ask them to tell us about their path from being a 3L to their current roles. Uh, Yutunde, you wanna kick us off? Sure, Daniel. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Yetun Gabriel. I'm also an associate at Morgan Brown and Joy, where I practice management side labor and employment law. I am a graduate of Boston College Law School, class of 2019. Uh, my journey from 3L to where I am now is, like many people, OCI didn't quite pan out for me. I still got to do some incredible internships. I interned at the MCAD, the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination. And then my 2L summer, I interned at Partners Healthcare, uh, where I got to work with a lot of the hospitals in the New England region. I networked 3L, knew I wanted to be an employment attorney. I started out at a smaller law firm called Debbie Bryden, where they do a lot of trade secrets cases and some non-compete litigation. And I just kept networking and I caught somebody's eye at Morgan Brown and Joy and somehow, some way I made it. So here I am. Excellent. Patrick, you want to go on from here? Sure. Um, Pat Gallagher, I uh, am an associate at Goulston and Stores. I do real estate, um, mostly transactional and development and permitting work. Um, I came to Goulston about two years ago from uh, a smaller firm in Boston, uh, Dane Torpy, um, where I had started out of law school. Um, it was a great place to get started. Um, you know, great people and uh, I'm loving being at Goulston as well. Um, I came out of BC knowing, knowing that I wanted to do real estate. There's a pretty robust uh, real estate practice in Boston um, and uh, happy to chat some more about it. Excellent. And then Katie. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name is Catherine DeVita. Um, I'm an associate at Con Kavanaugh um, in Boston. I've been there for about three years. Um, I also graduated from BC Law in 2015. Um, during my time there, I interned at a DA's office, at the AG's office. Um, and after graduation, I wound up clerking um, in Connecticut at the Connecticut Supreme Court and then at the Mass Appeals Court. Um, and I wound up at Con Kavanaugh because the firm knew that they would have a need in September, um, which is when the, all of the clerks were looking for a job and they, they wanted an associate with good research and writing skills. So they reached out um, and I interviewed and I wound up there. Um, now, while um, in my past three years, I've been a uh, defensive civil litigator, mostly. Um, and I do employment work, some insurance, and some professional liability. Um, so it's been a pretty broad practice so far. Excellent. I'm going to send the first question to you, Tunde. Uh, I know you started at Worker Bread and Joy mid-pandemic. How did the onboarding differ in person at your, uh, your first job to uh, the mid-pandemic onboarding, and what challenges and opportunities did that remote start present? 
Sure, good question. Uh, definitely a difference in the onboarding process between my first firm and Morgan Brown and Joy. At my first firm, I got to interview and then I started promptly. Whereas with Morgan Brown and Joy, I actually started interviewing right before the pandemic. Then hiring was put on freeze. And then I was contacted again in July of last year to say, hey, you know, we're actually still interested. And so that process was interesting because I kind of came into the office and just picked up my equipment. I met some of the people in accounting and our, our lovely office administrator, but unfortunately, the only people I had met that were actual attorneys were the associates and partners I interviewed with. So when they sent out my introduction email on day one, there were still at least 15 attorneys I hadn't met. So it was quite challenging trying to build a rapport with people that you've literally never met in person. So I definitely did my best to reach out. There was a lot of reach out on there and people setting up phone calls, trying to acclimate me to the firm, the type of work that we do. And I just, I just tried to make myself as personable as possible. I think people will trust you with work to do when they actually like you and they feel confident in your ability. So I guess my advice with onboarding remotely is be flexible, be amenable, because this is something new that is not just new for you, but it's new for the firm, but also just be ready to work and be personable. That's really helpful. Uh, Pat, I know you mentioned you, you've been at two firms, one a smaller firm and one uh, a, a big law firm. How did the office dynamics and the workflow differ between the two? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my the first firm that I was at um, has about 20 attorneys and, and Goulston and Stores has upwards of 200 and, and spread across three offices. So it, it's definitely, um, there's a cultural difference, I think, um, I think one of the biggest changes is that, you know, with any larger company, um, it's going to be a lot more structured. And, and that I think is the same for a law firm that um, starting with a smaller firm, um, I, I think the onus is on you a lot to go out and, and try and create opportunities for yourself. Um, whether that means really getting to know all of the attorneys at the firm, what their practices are, um, what type of work you would like to do um, and, and trying to make sure that you're exposed to the type of work that um, you're most interested in. You know, whereas at a larger law firm, it, it's um, harder to, you, you don't necessarily know every single one of your colleagues really well. Um, you know, you know the people who, who are on your practice group and your team and your office. Um, so I think the challenge with a larger firm is, is trying to get to know as, as many people as you can um, but within kind of a more structured setting um, as far as things like workflow and assignments are concerned. Um, so it, it's that balance of, you know, I, I think um, you need to be a little bit more of an advocate for yourself at a smaller firm. Um, you know, I think another big dynamic is that at smaller firms, typically they're more heavily, um, you know, partners, more, more weighted toward partners um, rather than associates. And so you might be one of only a handful or one of one uh, associates at a smaller firm. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunity there, um, but it, a lot of challenge as well. Great, great. Katie, I know you were at, uh, you were clerking and then went to a law firm. How do those, uh, how does clerkship life differ from law firm life besides uh, the paycheck? Right. Um... Yeah, I, I found that it actually differed a lot. Um, when you're a clerk, you are 
concerned about drafting the opinion and reaching the right result. Um, you're doing a lot of research and writing and analyzing the case and um, kind of looking at the case with kind of a more neutral um, outlook. Um, and then when you go to a firm, um, it's, it's different because you, you really, what, well, one thing that I find that's challenging as an associate is that you have uh, many different bosses. Um, as a clerk, you just have the judge, you know their style, you know what tone of writing they like. Um, but when you come to a firm, you have a lot of different people making demands on your time and they all have different ways that they like things done. Um, so that definitely takes some adjusting. Um, you're also at a firm seeing more of how a case develops. Um, whereas when you're a clerk, you're, you kind of, the case is over, it's, it's, been, it's on appeal. But I know when I started at the firm, I had to really get to know um, the, the rules and how to go through discovery from responding to a complaint or filing a complaint to um, going through depositions to filing dispositive motions and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, just at a firm, you just have a lot more to consider other than just the law itself. You have, um, you know, your time entries, you have relations with clients, um, how to balance that, uh, thinking about settlement. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of other law firm dynamics that um, all of you, if you don't already know them, you will get to know them soon if you go to a law firm. So I want to I want to jump off a point that you, you just made there, Catherine. So um, you mentioned that the challenges of having multiple bosses, and as a junior associate, you don't really fully control what assignments you are given. Um, what do you do when two partners ask you to do something at the same time on the same day? I'll I'll send that back to you, Catherine. Sure. Um, well, I think it kind of depends on your workload, and it definitely take some experience as you go through to get a sense of when you are actually busy um, and when you can take on more work. Um, I generally try to, if, I usually am pretty busy at my firm, but I usually can fit things in and there's, there, but there have been quite a few times where it's just not possible. And I think that you do need to speak up about that and partners appreciate that. And I think it's it's really all about the messaging that you give about it. Um, you don't just go in and say, I can't do this. You say, um, I really want to help with this. I'm happy to help. Um, I also have this deadline uh, for this other partner coming up. Um, I just want to make you aware of that. And I want to make sure that I it's possible to do both of those things well. Because um, I, I think that one thing you really have to prioritize as a junior associate um, is above all else, I think just producing good work product, um, that that needs to be your number one concern, not so much about efficiency or offending people and just make, making sure that your work is, is very well done. Great, great, thank you. And I, I wanna jump off that to something that, uh, that Pat mentioned. Uh, you, know, you mentioned that at a smaller shop, you really have to advocate for yourself. So, so what do you do when you don't have enough work or when you have too much work? Um, and how do, how do you advocate for, for those solutions, both at a smaller shop and a bigger shop? Um, you know, I, I think it's a lot of what Katie was saying in terms of um, it, it's, it's so important just I mean, to communicate and to have conversations um, about what you're doing, uh, about um, you know, what, the, what the needs are, 
um, and just to be upfront. And, and you know, I think um, one of my biggest weaknesses and, and, you know, definitely more so when I first started, but um, I, I love to overpromise people because, you know, I, you, you always want to be, you want to be a go-to person. You want to be someone who, um, you know, when people have a hard case or, or, you know, a complicated project or deal that um, you want them to come to you um, and you want to be uh, relied upon and, and uh, reliable. Um, and, and I think there's a conflict in, in trying to, um, you know, simply please people or trying to, um, you know, say yes to everything. And, and there's an inclination to do that. Um, but the worst thing that you can do is um, promise that you're going to, you know, be delivering something to a, a partner or a client um, and then to either not come through or to do a poor job on it. Um, so I think, um, you know, communication, you know, across every step of a project from when uh, someone asks you to, you know, work on a team or I'm a part of a case or a project um, all the way through is key. And, um, you know, it, it's obviously made more difficult right now. Um, you know, in normal times, most of our permitting attorneys uh, sit in the same hallway um, and you can stick your head out the window and, and have conversations with people that, um, you know, it, it, it's obviously harder to do virtually. So um, communication, um, you know, be, don't be afraid to say that, you know, rather than saying, you know, I'm busy, I can't take that on, say, these are the other things I'm working on. Um, this is kind of what my bandwidth is right now. And what do you need and when do you need it? And if the what and the when, you know, someone needs an assignment doesn't fit in, um, then that's important for them to know um, and important to be upfront about. Yeah, and, and I found that if, if you're upfront about that early on, no partner has ever been discouraging to me to do that. Um, and sometimes something that you thought was really urgent actually isn't. And if you really talk to the partner and say this other really time sensitive thing came in, um, do you really need this on Friday or can I give it to you Tuesday or something like that, that they appreciate that. And just to jump in here to kind of speak on the other perspective of when you're not getting enough work, or you're kind of finding that the work that you're doing is becoming monotonous, I think it's important to be your own advocate. I mean, essentially, you are the master of your own fate. So there is no issue with you emailing. I don't know, our firm has a partners listserv and saying, hey, I have some free time this week. Would anybody need some help with any projects or anything? Or another way to be strategic about that is the longer you work at the firm, the more you know certain partners' work styles or who you have a better working relationship with. So then in if an instance comes where you have some extra time, email a specific partner that you've had successful collaboration with, and I'm sure they'll find something for you to be able to do and help them get off their plate. I think as a junior associate, there's not much you can do as far as concerning your workflow, but there's two things I always tell people you can do. Number one, especially if you work in litigation, you can be the master of the facts. Everybody at your firm has been working and practicing law longer than you, but you can be the master of the facts, meaning that you have studied what's going on in the case. And you can say, no, this actually happened on this day. No, it was so-and-so who did or said that. And second of all, as a junior associate, you are basically trying to assist mid-level senior associates and partners. So whatever you can do to take things off of their plate, 
and make their life easier, that speaks very well to your work ethic and your efficiency as a junior. That's, that's really a great jumping off point for, for the next question. Uh, I'm gonna send this one back to, to you, Yutunde, because you just hit the nail on the head. Because I know a lot of uh, junior associates get into trouble when they fail to ask enough questions or get the full picture before diving headfirst into project, especially if they're giving one piece of a bigger pie. Um, and that obviously is much harder now uh, when everyone's remote rather than something into people uh, grabbing coffee and asking follow-up questions. So uh, before starting a project, what type of information or questions do you want always try to get um, before starting a project? Oh, this is a good question. Uh, well, figure out when they need it by because often they're asking you to do something so they can look over it before they pass it on to the client. So I think it's important to establish a timeline, ask specific questions. If you don't know the area of law that they're asking you to look into, ask if they've done a similar assignment. Always ask for a sample of whatever they're asking you to do. Again, when you're a junior, someone that's assigning you work has been practicing for a long time. So they've often encountered that type of assignment or research issue that they're asking you to check on. So then also being transparent in what you know, and then also asking how long do they expect to take. Again, time management is important. And we all know about the billable hour if you're working at a firm, but at the same time, you don't want to take too long or what is deemed too long on an assignment. And I think as a junior, you learn, you know, this type of research question might take three to five hours where this should really only take you an hour and a half where this might be a multi-day project. So just being transparent about those things and making sure you have what you need before you go down in a necessarily uh, rabbit hole is important when getting an assignment. I, th I think the rabbit hole concept is so important, right? Like I, um, you know, I, I think, a partner's worst nightmare is if they give you an assignment and for you to come back with, you know, a 20 page memo when all they wanted was to have a conversation or a quick email. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's so important to understand what the expectations are. Um, you know, and I think often the best approach and, and you know, toward um, knowing what questions to ask um, and, and how to approach a particular assignment. Um, you know, when you get asked to, um, you know, be part of a new case or, or dealer or whatnot, um, take a little bit of time to, to just get the lay of the land to if there's an, um, you know, a, a complaint or an LOI or a term sheet or, or whatever it happens to be, make sure you can, um, you know, just digest it a little bit so that you have um, questions and so that you understand the posture of the case or, or where, you know, what step in the deal process it is. And, and, um, and if you don't have an idea from, you know, the materials, then that should be on the top of your list of questions, but make sure that, you know, before going to have a, a conversation with a partner or senior associate, you have a little bit of an understanding of where things stand, and then you can have a more informed discussion about, okay, what, what do we need to do? Yeah, I've, I've found that the, the questions that I always tend to ask are first how to bill it and um, when they need it by. Um, and that's in addition to, of course, just completely understanding the assignment, um, what type, under what law they want the research, if it's a research assignment, um, federal and state, if they want you to go beyond 
uh, Massachusetts, for example, um, it's helpful to know that and get a sense of that. Um, I always like to know the context of the research or whatever it is that I'm doing, just because I, I find that sometimes I'll come across something that wasn't exactly what I was asked to do, but I kind of make a note of it to, to point it out and say, have we thought about this? And partners really appreciate that because you're kind of going above and beyond without you know, spending a ton of time going down a rabbit hole. Um, and I find that sometimes the deliverable that you're going to be producing, sometimes they don't really know. Like if I ask, do you want a memo or just an email or a conversation? Um, it kind of, they're, they're, a lot of times they're like, well, it depends on what you find. If you find a ton of stuff, maybe they want a memo. If there really isn't the, um, a lot of it out there, then maybe they just want an email with the best cases. Um, you know, there's different kinds of assignments. Sometimes it's like, uh, I want to know the complete state of the law on this in this state. Sometimes it's just like, I need three cases that say this for this motion. Um, so you kind of just have to get a sense of the, um, of the context of that. And they might not also be able to tell you exactly how much they want you to spend on it, how much time, but, um, you know, you can kind of get a sense for that as you get more senior of, you know, is this a, for the biggest client and it's a $35 million case, or is it like a $45,000 subro matter that, you know, you really shouldn't be spending a ton of research time on. Um, and you'll kind of develop those skills. Great, great, that, that, that's helpful. So you got your first assignment, you're told, let me know if you have any questions. And then you're an hour or so into it and you think, I have questions, but I'm not sure if these are partner level questions or, or associate level questions or, or things I should just try to figure out on my own. Um, you know, what, how do you figure out what is a partner level question, an associate level question, you know, an admin question or, or a question you're hoping Google will be able to help with? Um, I'm gonna send this to Pat. Pat, what, how do you figure out where to send questions? Um, and so I think this gets back to one of the first things I was saying that, you know, the difference between a big and a small firm is, you know, it, it's much easier to, to know and, and meet and get to, you know, learn about all the people when you're in a smaller firm setting. Um, but in a bigger firm setting, you also, um, the people who are going to do best are often the people who um, know and, and get to know the most people within the firm. And, and it's so important whether, you know, small, big, medium um, firm or, or not a firm, wherever you're working, um, getting to know the people and what sorts of things they work on and different work styles, um, developing a mentor relationship, whether that's with, you know, in a, a formal, you know, and, and some firms might, um, you know, assign you a mentor uh, when you, when you first join the firm, others, um, it's more of an informal uh, setup that you need to go out for yourself and find someone who whose practice or whose style um, is something that you'd like to emulate. And, and that can be a young partner, that can be a senior associate, that can be someone who's just a couple of years senior to you, um, who has recently gone through um, some of the same you know, experiences that you're going through now. Um, but developing those relationships um, is, is so key. And, and you know, deciding where to go with your questions. And, um, you know, it's gonna depend on, you know, the assignment, whether it's a substantive question, whether it's a, you know, 
more process question about, you know, this partner or this client I'm working with, what is their um, preferred style? Um, but it all starts with, um, you know, really um, knowing who you're working with and, and kind of knowing, and, and that'll teach you who the right person is to go to and ask. Uh, just to add and jump in here, I think kind of what Pat was saying, just to supplement that, I think you have to determine the nature of your question. If it's, if it's a question specifically about the assignment, and again, you don't want to go down a rabbit hole because they don't want you to expend more time than necessarily on the assignment, just go ahead and ask a partner. Even if you feel slightly embarrassed, it will serve you better in the end because it'll produce the work product that they're actually looking for. If it's something that is a more general question, what I do is we have an associates group chat. If I have any questions that's not really specific to the assignment, I ask the group chat. If it's something that like I particularly have not had any you know, experience in, I go to a specific associate that I think that has experience in that. Daniel can attest to that. He definitely saved my life earlier this week. So I think, again, like I said initially, it's about building relationships within your firm. When people like you, they want to help you. When you have a rapport with someone, they're invested in your success and in your future. So once you have those relationships in place, you shouldn't be afraid to ask the question because people expect lawyers to know all the answers, but we know the only person that's all the answers is Westlaw or LexisNexis. We don't have all the answers. So ask for help when you need it. Yeah, and unfortunately, I feel that's um, become a lot more difficult in the remote workplace, whereas I used to ask questions all the time of associates working around me. Now it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, but I, I know my practice generally is to try not to go to a partner as much as possible and uh, ask either other associates and um, Typically, when I do feel I need to go to the partner because it's specific to the assignment or if it's, you know, a really high stakes question, um, I will kind of, well, I, you should always read the rules, obviously, if it's something related to that. But so when I go to a partner, I'll, I'll say, um, so I've read this rule. Um, I've looked at the file in this area. Um, you know, I've done this to try and kind of figure it out myself. So I'm kind of justifying coming to them um, with the question because um, generally I try and bother them as little as possible. Um, and a, a couple pieces of advice that I've heard over the years that I found really helpful are um, you should treat a partner like your client. So you want to just make their life, like the partner is making the client's life as easy as possible. You want to make the partner's life as easy as possible. Um, and uh, what was the other one? So um, it'll come to me. I, I will come back to you. Uh, I want yeah. to go back. <laughs> I just to lost Tunde. it. It'll, it'll come back, Katie. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Tunde, so you mentioned building rapport um, with associates and, and partners and how that's important. Um, can you talk about balancing that desire of the formality that law school teaches um, where we refer to everyone by attorney in their last name or, or Mr. or Mrs. Um, with, with the desire to build that rapport, which often requires a more personal touch. How do you, how do you balance that, especially um, when you haven't met people in person and you're often interacting mostly via email? Uh, that is definitely difficult when you're onboarded remotely and you haven't met people individually, so they don't know your character or 
give off. I always approach talking to particularly partners and more senior level associates as being like the most professional version of myself as possible. But my personality is I'm very bubbly, as you can see. I like to have a conversation. I'm a people person. So I, when I say I am my professional self, that means I am definitely about the work, but you will understand my demeanor and the way that I speak to you. Maybe it's in my email format. As much as possible, I like to call partners. In my experience as far, they call me they, when they want to chat about an assignment. If it's something that's quicker, that's a different story. But usually they kind of want to have a conversation to make sure you have a lay of the land of what you're going to do. I think in that conversation, you ask the questions you need to ask to make sure they know that you're serious about getting them the work that they need. But you also take those small opportunities to ask them about their day. If they have kids, ask them about their, their kids. Kind of building that relationship and bridging that gap that Zoom doesn't provide. I mean, our firm has a lot of Zoom events where we try to build rapport with each other, but it's not quite the same as walking by so-and-so's office and going to the kitchen and getting something by the curing. As far as with other associates, I think I'm still my best professional self, but I think I'm a little bit more relaxed. I think Daniel can attest to this in the group chat. I ask my questions about my assignments. I try to check in with everyone, but I also like to ask or discuss things that are not necessarily work-related because if we're only asking questions that are related to the law, you're not going to get to know the people you work with. So if you find anything that you, you have in common with your fellow colleagues, I say ask about those questions so that later on when you ask them about filing in superior court or about <laughs> researching a specific thing or an institutional client that you're trying to figure out, they already know you and they're willing to help you. Yeah, I, to, to echo that, um, I would say, please, anytime something can be said more easily over the phone than in an email or anytime an email is really not necessary, you should always call or Zoom. I know some people are <laughs> like a little like zoomed out, um, but having, I mean, we, there, there's, there's so much email, there's too much email these days. Um, and I, I think for, you know, substantive questions or answers or work, that's a different story. Um, but even, even in that case, I, I think it's always helpful to send a substantive email and to follow up with a phone call to talk through it. Um, you know, but I, I've been sitting in a meeting with a partner where in the course of a half an hour, um, they get a hundred emails and I just see it on their computer screen coming through. And it's like, wow, like I can be emailing and, and my email is one of those hundred emails, um, that, you know, it's, it can be a chore to respond to. So, um, especially right now, if you can, if it's appropriate, take the time to pick up the phone and call um, and, and ask people how they're doing. I think, um, you know, the question, how are you, used to be kind of a, you know, throw in or, you know, uh, back when we were all seeing each other. But um, I think it's important to, to check up on each other right now and make sure that if you have a group of associates, um, make sure that all of the associates are included or make sure that if there's anyone who seems like they're not part of a group, bring them into your group because, um, you know, I, I feel like we are kind of, you know, responsible for looking out for each other right now, um, especially as junior associates and, and, you know, thinking particularly of, um, you know, new associates who just don't really know uh, folks in, in the firm yet or, or um, you know, new colleagues who don't, you know, whether you're in a law firm or any other setting. Um, you know, make sure you're looking out for people. I totally second that. And I, I'm not always the best about checking in with people. 
Um, but I have been trying to do that more, um, especially with COVID. Um, and yeah, you, you got to take the opportunity whenever you're on a phone call with someone now, I always just have, I often will have a 10 to 15 minute conversation with someone completely not related to work um, and try and, because you got to find a connection somehow these days and just getting on a Zoom call with a million people, um, you really don't get that type of connection to learn about people's lives. And I always try to ask specific questions about what I know they've been doing. How are the kids? You know, how was that trip you took um, to really kind of develop a rapport with someone? That, that's helpful. I want to jump back to some of the, that Pat mentioned about building mentors, especially when you're just starting out. So obviously, I know there are firms that have formal mentorships, but are there any, any of the three of you can talk about finding and developing mentor relationships informally at, at firms and, and kind of steps to do that, especially um, when we're all working remotely? I can take that. Um, so I, uh, if you should all, uh, probably have a formal mentor assigned, um, but if you don't, then I think it's definitely beneficial to reach out to partners that you know are working in practice areas that you like um, and try and get assignments with them, reach out to them. If they um, send around maybe a conflict check email that you can tell what kind of case it is and from the partners, from the parties, you can see, oh, a case is coming in, I need work. Um, kind of just reach out and say, you know, can I be of any help with this? Um, that that's always good to do. Um, and if, if any time that a partner that you like working with asks for help with something or to go to an event with them, or they suggest that you attend this webinar or they um, want a blog post written, um, you should definitely jump at that opportunity um, and they'll start remembering you and thinking of you for cases and um, want to take an investment in your career and help you out. And, and I think there are different types of mentoring relationships that, that it's important to pursue. I, I you know, certainly, um, I think it's, it's critical to have someone who is another associate who can be a mentor to you, who's not, um, who, who is not um, part of the partnership, um, who is not your boss, um, someone who has been in your shoes, um, and you know, ideally, someone who practice whose practice is similar to yours, so that you know, both uh, if you have questions about how the firm works or just general life questions, you can ask them. But also, if you have questions about types of assignments, either they might have some experience in it, or if they don't, they would know who does. Um, you know, and I, I think that's a super important resource to say, I'm working on this kind of a deal. Um, who should I talk to? And, and it's easier to have that conversation with another associate, I think. Um, important to have mentors who are our partners as well, who um, you know, have a more developed practice, much more experience and, and who you can look at their practice and say, this is what I want my practice or, or you know, if it's multiple partners and, and kind of a blend of their practices, um, this is what I want my practice to look like. Um, and, and to try and do everything you can to get work from them and, and um, be involved on their clients because that's the best way for, um, for you to steer your practice uh, toward where you want it to be. Um, and I think it's also important to have mentors outside of your firm or outside of your place of employment, whether it's a former professor, whether it's classmates who 
um, you know, are at your same level and, and just to be able to, um, you know, touch base and, and connect with people um, about, you know, whether like sometimes you need to talk about your, your job and what you're doing and say, like, are, are you guys, you know, doing similar stuff? Like, and, and just to check in and, and um, you know, have that resource outside of your firm uh, for people who you can talk to and, and lean on. Right. And this is, again, where self-advocacy kind of comes into play. Again, it's important that you build these relationships. And when you're doing your best work for these associates and partners, you're also letting people know what your goals are, what you're interested in doing. As a woman of color, clearly I'm in an industry where a lot of people don't look like me. So I have to advocate for myself to get certain opportunities and to make sure that I am on the trajectory that I want for myself. So for example, I have developed an informal mentorship relationship with a partner where I haven't even done that much work for her, but because we've had conversations about the things that I want to do anytime uh, she's involved in any litigation, she tries to pull me in in some aspect. So once you're advocating for yourself, once you're building these relationships, build these relationships, network internally and externally, you're also creating, you know, pathways for people to want to support you. Great. So I want to jump off something you mentioned, uh, networking internally and networking externally. Often, you know, when you're a junior associate, you're, you're given this giant number you have of hours you have to bill. And, you know, it's kind of like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, that's that, how you got to chip away at that annual billable hour goal. Um, but how, how do you make time to network internally and externally and what kind of things have you all gotten involved with during your first couple of years of practice um, that, that were beneficial to you? Uh, so again, networking internally, once you get an assignment, like I said, pick up the phone, talk about the assignment and use it as an opportunity to segue into, I guess, non-assignment related conversation. Uh, Something that I've done is uh, there's a partner that I've done a lot of research for and we have a good collaborative relationship. So randomly I'll reach out to him and just say, I enjoy the work that we do. If you have anything coming in that looks like this, please let me know. And that often spurns another conversation. As far as networking outside of your firm, I say the coffee chats that you were doing in law school, the little informational interviews do not stop. Uh, you, you continue to be impressed by the people that are in your profession and want to know people outside of your firm that are either doing the things that you're doing or the things that you want to do or just unrelated things. So it, it doesn't hurt to send someone a request on LinkedIn or to send an email. It's, it's a little bit easier now that you have that ESQ behind your name so you're not coming off as a one or two while looking for a job. So just <laughs> when you're trying to build these relationships and have conversation, Again, you are the master of your fate. Reach out and say, hey, like, I see that you're involved in this organization. That's really cool. Let me know when you have some time to chat about that. And I found that I've been very successful in that. So you will make the relationships and build the bonds that you want to build as long as you're invested in building those bonds. And, and I think there's also an inclination, you know, when you're, when you're networking with folks outside of your firm um, to try and, you know, in the same way as during law school to try and connect with more senior level people. Um, but I think it's super important to connect with your peers. Um, and, you know, to say like, I'm a real estate attorney, I'm working with a lot of developers, um, uh, with a lot of engineers, architects, um, the people who are at my level um, will be the senior people at their firms 
in five or 10 or 15 years. And, and if you can build those relationships now and maintain them, um, then all of a sudden when you are you know, a senior associate or a partner, um, you have the established relationships um, with clients or potential clients or with um, you know, people who, you know, even if it's not a client, um, you know, for example, uh, we work with engineering and civil engineers and, and folks like that all the time and being able to pick up the phone and have a conversation with someone I know and not having to jump through hoops with the client um, is something that clients love, that partners love. Um, you only have those relationships if you go out and, and start building them. Um, so look at you know if there's any trade groups or any kind of industry groups. It's great to talk to non-lawyers too, just to get out of the, the kind of legal bubble. Um, so I would encourage everyone to, to try and do that. Yeah, I think it's also really important to network at your your same level. Um, and I found that it's been most successful for me when kind of my networking overlaps a little bit with some friendships from law school or from my clerkship. And, um, you know, th I find things that I enjoy doing. And then I just meet people my age through those. And then I kind of talk about my work a little bit. And then a legal issue, hopefully, um, will pop up and uh, they'll think of me um, and want they'll start to get to know me and want my advice on things. Um, so yeah, definitely important to keep up with those relationships that you've already built. Um, just make it informal. Say you wanna have coffee or lunch with someone, you, you miss them and uh, you wanna catch up. Um, and a lot of times I'll try to, um, or naturally in the conversation it'll come up that, um, oh, I have, I have a friend from law school, uh, different law school that, you know, is, was talking about that issue um, uh, in the context of her firm, you know, and, I, and then I say, you know, could I chat with her about it? I'd love to meet her or something like that. Um, and then you're just kind of growing your network a little bit and then that person can make an introduction for you. Um, and it's a little bit more um, seamless and informal that way. Great, great. So um, I see there are some questions in the, in the Q and A, so keep on sending those in. I'm gonna go with one more. Um, question. So we talked about the importance of, of doing good work and making sure you're keeping track of your time. We talked about the importance of, of networking both internally and externally. Um, and obviously, we all know the billable hour requirement. So any tips for work-life balance, given all, all of those uh, things that we should be doing, especially uh, now that our, our uh, work and our life occur in the same place um, for much of the day? Uh, any tips on how to create a little bit of a divide between, um, between those two things. I'll send this one to, to Pat, because he's smiling most at me. Uh, <laughs> so easiest piece of advice right now is, is get outside. Um, get outside, take a walk. Um, I, uh, my, wife nags me every day to get outside and take a 20 minute walk. Um, and uh, the world is still there when I get back to my computer at the end of the 20 minute walk. Um, it's healthy, you need it. If you were working in an office, you'd be going outside you know, every single day. Make sure you get outside. Um, but in, in general, 
um, you know, when I was first starting uh, a senior associate who's now a partner at, at my first firm um, gave me the advice that, you know, work comes in, in ebbs and flows. Uh, there are going to be times when you're busier, um, when you need to be locked in, when you're going to be working longer hours, um, when you're just not going to see your family as much necessarily, although now we always see our families. Um, but even once we're all back in the office, um, you know, there are going to be times when you have to work late and, and you know, you might not be able to put your kids to bed. Um, but there are also times when you're not going to be quite as busy and when there isn't a, a pressing deadline um, and take advantage of those times, uh, make sure. And as you get more experience, you'll get a better sense of, um, you know, on a Friday afternoon, what do I need to respond to right now? Or what can wait until Monday? Um, and take advantage of those opportunities when there's not an urgent deadline, um, when it's not super busy, um, to have some time for yourself, whether it's with your family, whether it's going out and exercising, whether it's going to a show or a baseball game, once those things um, are more in person again, um, take advantage of, of those opportunities. And take a vacation once in a while if you can. Um, as long as you're reasonable about it, I mean, you should be at a place that will allow you to take reasonable vacations. Um, I think it really helps me kind of reset my mind. And I actually find that I'm a lot more productive before and after. I urge the practicing of self-care. Uh, whether I do that all the time is another conversation, but I try. Uh, so there are things that we like to do. There are things that make us happy. For me, I love 90s sitcoms. So when I have a full work week, I try to at least carve out one hour, whether it's one hour a day or maybe, maybe it's going to be a whole weekend where I'm going to get on Netflix and I'm going to binge all of my favorite 90s sitcoms. Or I'm going to rewatch Boy Meets World and talk about Fang Glory because that's the thing that makes me happy and makes it all of the work that you do Monday through Friday and sometimes on the weekends worth it all. I think, kind of as Kat said, when when you're not when you're not taking time for yourself, you're not recharged. When you're able to step away from your work and come back, you're often able to come back with a new perspective, perhaps a new strategy, and you're just more useful. So don't burn out. You're just starting your career, especially as a junior associate. It is important that you practice or develop an endurance. Like don't burn out now because hopefully you're in this for the long haul. And, and I think remote work has, has made that there are advantages and disadvantages. I mean, you don't have a commute, so you get more time at home, but you don't really have a work home divide anymore. Um, so for me, I know I have to kind of in my office, I'm in my office and I'm working and I'm really just working. And then when I'm done, I close the door. <laughs> I say, I'm not going in there again. And you gotta really um, enjoy and take advantage of the time away. And, and when you're not working and if you're not on a deal that you know people are gonna be emailing about, leave, leave these somewhere where you can ignore it because um, I, they're, a blessing and, and a curse and, and um, getting away from, you know, feeling like you need to respond to emails at all hours um, because you don't. Um, there are very few emails that you need to respond to uh, after seven or eight o'clock in the evening. 
Um, if it really needs a response, that's one thing, but otherwise try to put away your phone, put away your computer once you clock out. All helpful things, um, and like you, you Tunde said, all easier said than done. Um, and <laughs> we have a couple of uh, people here who might not always live those words, but I, I, they are certainly wise words. So I'm gonna to go to the chat. Uh, I'm gonna, the first question is anonymous, but I'm gonna assume it's Sean Hunter. Uh, how accurately do you think you're able to judge a firm's culture over Zoom events and remote work? Um, because sometimes Zoom events can be awkward. So how, how reflective do you think Zoom social events are of a company's uh, a firm's culture? hard to judge it's hard to judge a firm based on zoom right like i mean everyone like zoom is a super awkward format when we'd all rather be in person um but i think to the point of judging a firm's culture and i i um i know a lot of people are either looking um to looking to move or, or um you know thinking about joining a new company or a new firm um and i think the pandemic in general and, and firms responses to the pandemic has really illustrated the cultural differences between a lot of places. Um, make sure that if you are thinking of moving somewhere, um, you try and have candid conversations with associates about, um, you know, what is the firm's culture generally and, and how did the pandemic and, and the response to it um, illuminate that? Um, and, and, you know, did, you know, a particular firm go out of its way to try and keep associates uh, and partners uh, together and, and um, you know, if not physically together, virtually together. And, and so it's hard to judge that from, you know, the quality of a Zoom event, but um, it, it, it's important to know kind of, and, and to be able to gauge um, what firms have done in the pandemic. So if you're looking to move, ask those questions. Um, and on those, Zoom events, I would say maybe the first couple, obviously, you know, chat, introduce yourself, but the first couple of Zoom events that I did at Morgan Ron and Joy, I kind of waited in the wings and just observed the interactions between associates and partners just to see what kind of relationships that were there. Once I saw there were a lot of people that were also kind of goofy like me, I was like, oh, this is somewhere I can work. This is somewhere I can build friendships. We're not just going to be asking about work where I can have a personal relationship with people here. I think you want to observe what's happening. And then when you find your opening, jump in. Sometimes I can be awkward. So don't feel any shame about that. Just wait for your moment. We all have our one thing that we can talk about or we can make a joke about. Wait for that opening and I'm sure you'll be okay. Yeah, I'm, I know it can be intimidating, but you know, if, if you can get in some personal facts about yourself, some jokes here and there, you can let your personality out. I think that people like that. I mean, they wanna work with someone who's fun to work with, who's gonna uh, kind of be funny where appropriate and um, that they're gonna enjoy working with you and like getting to know you, um, you know, and be more understanding when you have out of work obligations and things like that. Um, so definitely it can be tough, but take advantage of those events when you can. And try and have your video on if you can too. I. I... I'm friends with a lot of teachers and, and they say how infuriating it is to talk to a bunch of blank tiles. Um, and I think you can see it too. And, and you know, 
I, I think in client meetings, um, you know, people are better to turn on their video, but in internal firm events, um, when you see people um, without a video on it, I, I, you know, it, it's hard to feel engaged. So I, I think, you know, to the extent that you can have that video on um, and, and just be, even if you're not talking or, or saying anything, just to be engaged, I, th I think that helps kind of bring, bring people a little closer together. And, and if there's a, you know, a panelist or something like that, it, it really helps the person giving the presentation to see faces. For sure, for sure. And I'll, I'll add one note here. I, I, you know, Zoom events are, are really just one giant conversation when there's 10 or 15 people. Very rarely um, pre-pandemic did we have, you know, 30 person conversations where only one person can talk at a time. Um, so, you know, to the extent that you can, you want to judge culture, it's much easier to do that on individual calls um, than on big Zoom events, unless you're going to breakout rooms and doing trivia or things like that. Um, we have some time for a couple more questions. So I'm going to jump to one more, um, assuming this is Corey Matthews. When, if at all, were you first asked to bring in business to your firm? How did you go about doing that? I mean, I can talk about that. I think I was, go ahead if you. If you. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think pretty early on, you're, you're not, it's not really going to be a big emphasis for you um, other than doing blog posts and, you know, being active on LinkedIn and things like that, which is, I think, part of business development um, and building your network and things like that. And I think as you get more senior, it, it will be emphasized more. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I think just you need to lay the groundwork early by getting involved with bar associations, building your network, keeping in touch with people from law school. Um, those are the areas where you're going to potentially develop business later on. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about bringing a matter in, but I would just, you know, develop those relationships and keep them going, keep in touch with people. And I think, I think it's, you know, largely an unfair expectation for a junior associate to bring in new matters. I think it depends on the firm, the type of work you're doing, um, but that's really not a fair expectation to put on um, a junior associate. What is fair is to say, you know, we expect you to go out and to meet people and network and all of that um, so that when you are more senior um, and when you know a little bit of law <laughs> instead of the very little bit of law that we currently know, um, that it'll be, you know, easier for a potential client to trust you to, to, you know, bring their work to you. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, don't feel the expectation, um, to bring in work as a junior associate, um, but do feel the expectation, uh, to go out and, and build those external relationships and also to build relationships, um, with existing clients. I think, you know, the, the biggest driver, uh, of work at almost any firm is existing clients. And so to the extent that you can get FaceTime with them and, and ask partners and ask uh, senior associates for the opportunity to be in meetings and to go to hearings or to go to, you know, um, these when in-person events start back up again, um, ask to participate in those events so that you get that FaceTime and can build the relationships with the firm's existing clients because those are very, very important as well. Yeah, basically at this point, at this stage, it's all about increasing your visibility. Uh, there's gonna come a time where you're asked to speak on panels. There's gonna be a time where you have speaking engagements or writing. 
If you're someone who's naturally shy, try to fight that shyness because when you engage in those things, those are the things that bring more eyes and attention to you. And once you have more visibility, more people say, who is this person? Then they'll look at your LinkedIn or your attorney bio on your website and say, what do they do? And then there might be an issue that comes up that falls under your wheelhouse and they'll say, hey, so-and-so spoke at this panel, so-and-so wrote this article. They might have a handle on this and I should probably call them and ask them if they can handle that. So at this stage, just increase your, your visibility so that you are that person's go-to person when the time arises. Thank you all. I mean, I think if you're really right, Yutunde, I mean, it's about um, planting the seeds now and continuing to water them. Um, continuing those relationships, getting involved with things like the BBA is, is important and can be really valuable. Um, and so I'm seeing a natural ending point, so I will take it. Um, thank you all for <laughs> today. Um, the four of us are all Google. We're all on LinkedIn. So please reach out if we can be helpful to any of you answering questions today, tomorrow, or uh, in the future. Um, so thank you all for being here. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. Take care.